0: Hey there, and welcome back to season one, episode 47 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. And I'm Aaron Santemeyer, and I will be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with two friends of the podcast, uh, Dick Foth and Admiral Vern Clark. Um, we asked them to come back and if they would sit down and unpack covenant leadership. And uh, wow, it was a uh, full of wisdom, full of insight, and uh, you'll want to take notes. You might want to listen to the podcast more than once um, just to learn from these two gentlemen. And Dick takes the lead. Dick knows uh, Vern. They have a great friendship and relationship, and I think it's just valuable just to see the rapport that they have um, as they share and uh, talk with each other. And so Dick will take the lead as he um, asks questions of Vern. He, he knows covenant leadership. He saw Vern lead that out. He saw that live that out each and every day of his life um, when he was leading the Navy and they were friends um, in DC. And so that was super valuable just to, because Dick knows the questions asked. And so it was great. And we really appreciate Dick. You all know that Dick's a friend of the podcast and continue to send your questions in for a uh, back channel with both. And that's where Dick sits down and answers questions that listeners send in. We've had a lot of positive feedback for that. And from that, and we just so appreciate Dick and his investment in, in missionaries around the world. Now, 102 countries, 102 countries around the world that are listening in on a weekly basis. And we thank, we're thank we thankful for that and appreciate people to continue to listen. And we ask you to subscribe. I know the podcasts that I listen to the most are the ones I subscribe to. And uh, we have some phenomenal interviews coming up um, in the coming days, in the coming weeks, and uh, looking forward to them. And you won't want to miss them. do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, AGWM Africa org For an increasingly redeemed and transformed Africa. 50 countries, 257 training centers, 404 missionaries, and 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you can do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. podcast. This is an episode that I've been excited and looking forward to. Um, here with our good friends, Admiral Vern Clark and Dick Foth. interviewed um, both of them twice in the past. And uh, in the last interview, we talked about covenant leadership and we said we were going to ask if we could come back just one more time and uh, unpack covenant leadership. And so I'm so thankful for both of them taking the time today. And Dick is so graciously accepted to be the leader of this, uh, this podcast today. And so I'm going to turn it over to Dick and we're going to jump in.
1: Thank you, Aaron. Vern, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. Good morning to you. And to you. We're both here in Colorado, and but for this moment, for these moments, we're in Africa and around the world, I hear. So this mm-hmm. is kind of, this is cool. Yeah. So, Vern, you um, you grew up in uh, Nebraska and Missouri and, and the Midwest ended up going to what we consider a small college this place called evangel university and years later you end up running the entire united states navy with hundreds of billions of dollars and all of that sort of thing and along the way you ran into a concept an idea called covenant leadership so we're going to go there this morning i've got my <laughs> questions ready they i don't know that there will be salvos in navy language but I'll just get, I'll take a clear <laughs> spot and you can respond. Okay. Good. So, interrupt anytime
2: too. Cause once yeah. I launch, you know, I love to talk about this.
1: <laughs> I'm just, we can see each other. These folks can't see us, see us, but if I hold, if I hold my hand up, that means enough already. I want to ask another question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very Aaron, good. You, jump in, you jump in Aaron, if you feel so inclined and we, we will judge whether it's a good question or not. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, here we go. Where did you and when did you first come in contact with the idea of Covenant Leadership, Bern?
2: Well, somewhere in the years where I was, uh, I think I was a lieutenant commander. So very, really, in the first uh, six to eight years, uh, I was in the Navy. And I read this book uh, by Max Dupree. And that's where I first saw it. And I was really taken with it because, you know, my background, you've alluded to it uh, several times on these podcasts. Uh, I, you know, I grew up differently than my peer group uh, with a, a education, a higher education and a Christian college and and uh, then an MBA. And, you know, that was uh, that was out of the norm for, for so I came at this leadership thing in an entirely different way. I do think it's an important thing to just say that, uh, I don't know if I've referred to Admiral train in my time with you guys, but when I was a Lieutenant, I, I was a Admiral's aide for a guy named Harry train and Harry train really did invest in me. And, um, And he didn't sit down one day and say, okay, Vern, I'm going to teach you how to be a good officer. You're going to grow up to be an admiral or anything silly like that. But Admiral Train one day just said out of the blue, he said, and something must have happened to prompt him to say this. Vern, remember we are all functions of our perspective. And it was, it's such a short phrase but a, a phrase that has meant so much to me in my life because where we come from has so much to do with the way we are going to react to everything that we're confronted with in our journey. And, and I don't care what we're doing, whether we're going to, um, uh, uh, we're working in any of a thousand different places or, or, or forms of, uh, 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 productive activity. It doesn't matter. We're all functions of our perspective. And so when I saw this article, it wasn't an article, it was a book, um, the, "The Leadership is an Art by Dupree, I was just re- really taken by this. And one of the reasons was is because I, I had uh, re- read and heard so much about servant leadership. Here I am a person with a faith background, a, uh, a, a Christian, a, um, and you know, um, I just, I just was, I, this was something that I had never encountered before and it was a different approach. And the reason is, and I want to, I want to, well, I don't want to run down the road too quick. Let me just say that's how long ago I,
1: uh, first, when I first encountered covenant leadership so so that, that was way back when, when you were in uniform and were slim and had hair. That's that exactly crazy. right. Uh, that <laughs> is exactly right. I was in Both
2: the process of, of having it thin out at that time. It's so really thin now. By the way, if you see this bandaid on my head, I hit my head on the car tailgate yesterday. So i covered covering this up so that nobody gets sick from the sight of
1: blood. <laughs> Tell me, tell me about it. You get no sympathy from me. I tell my grandkids, I used to have a wave and now I have a beach. You know, <laughs> <laughs> now, now that's clever. <laughs> so here's the here's the deal. Um, I, I have I have watched you with a hundred to two hundred university students from places like Duke and Harvard and University of Texas and other places in one room where you, uh, running the Navy, uh, stepped down off the platform and started walking among the crowd and saying, I'm going to say a word, you tell me what you think it means. And you toss out the word covenant. Now, in in this in this context where we're seeing people sued li- right, left, and center because we know the word contract, what were some of the responses when you tossed that word out to university students?
2: Well, it was almost always in the legal context because, and, and by the way, this is one of the reasons that the whole discussion of covenant leadership was so productive because it challenged people's thinking. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. I did do this because, uh, when I was talking to my sailors, um, and, and I don't mean the lower level sailors, I was always talking to bosses,
1: Right.
2: Uh, I needed to change the culture. I mean, and you know, we can study all we want. We know changing culture is a really big, tough task. And my take was, we didn't have culture right in the Navy. You've heard me say that, but I said it publicly as well as privately. Um, You've heard more detail privately than most people ever heard publicly. But I was convinced that I needed something startling to change the way leaders were thinking about the whole leadership game, and
1: uh, uh,
2: so I had to start with basic definitions. Right. So, what does covenant mean? And it was always well, they went to a contract, an agreement, and so that so. Um, I drew this out because I wanted them to understand. I wasn't talking about just those things. I'm, I'm certainly talking about some agreements that occur. Sure. But I had to get it more broad than that. And so I said, okay, and, and covenant has several frames of reference, perspectives, if you will. And uh, first, if we say that it's a contract, it's a legal contract. Perspective, um, and then I kept working the crowd until I got to a promise, a covenant, a, prom- a promise, a okay. covenant was a promise. And some, uh, some, and if it was a promise,
1: it was personal, not legal. Okay. Some of the some of the young people said things like oath or yeah. pledge. That's that's mm-hmm. in that same arena, isn't it? Yeah, and those
2: well a pledge would be probably more personal, uh,
1: but the other is more legal. So, so to put this in the context of well, to put this in the context of you trying to change this culture, this two hundred year old culture called Navy, uh, two hundred plus. Um, I walked into your office one day at the Pentagon. That's a pretty good size office, by the way, as I remember it. Which uh, one was I don't remember which one. One one of those big ones you had. (laughs) And I I walked in, and you had just been named head of the Navy. You had had other responsibilities that were major. But you said, I'm going to meet with my admirals. I don't know how many there were. You were going up to Rhode Island or someplace to meet with your admirals. And you said, so look at this, Dick. I'm going to toss this out. And... And the question you posited or we're going to posit to them was these young people, 18, 19 years old, whatever they're come and stand, raise their right hand and they, and they make a promise to, uh, to defend the constitution. Can you yeah. explain that
2: to our listeners? The to defend the constitution Against all enemies, foreign and domestic, have true faith and allegiance to the same. And, and one more thing to obey the orders of the president of the United States and all of the officers appointed to. And I would say it like this, the the president and all the officers and bosses in between them and the
1: president, people that they'd never met before, a pretty awesome promise. So, so you may, you make a promise to an idea, i.e. the constitution and a whole passel of people Mm mm-hmm so so you went and you sat with your admirals and what did you say to them? I said so look here's my question what
2: are you promising in return hmm they promised that what do you promise and then I took them all through this horrible history of the Navy where we could never meet our retention goals. Because after people felt so powerfully obligated to the nation and made this commitment, we managed to create a working environment that was so stinking lousy (laughs) that we couldn't get people to stay. (laughs) And I said, there is something grossly wrong with this picture and i want to tell you i am asking you the question what do you promise in return and i want you to know i'm going to keep score
1: <laughs> so what did they say I, I know one of the one of the things you told one of the <laughs> things that i remember you saying is the united states navy was not created to cut a fine silhouette on the horizon yeah we oh were, yeah we're, forgotten that yeah. Which, see, I remember that. that's a picture in my head. But, but you went on. You went on to say this. These are the three or four things. I can't remember the sequence. Tell us what those. Are. Well, so
2: see, uh, I want to refer to what I, I think is a problem. I could. I was looking for a framework, and this is what I want to encourage leaders with. You can't just get up one day and start talking about leadership. I mean, you've got if you're going to really connect with people, you've got to have a, a framework that makes some sense to the people you're talking about, to, talking to, that allows them to piece this together in their own uh, makeup in a way that they can retain and think about what you're talking about. And so, you know, I've studied strategic communications, and we haven't talked much about that, but this was all part, of the whole strategic communications model. How am I going to connect in a way that can, I can really change the Navy in a positive way that will uh, create the outcomes that our nation needs? And so my one of my biggest problems was, I'm spending hundreds of millions of dollars every year recruiting people into the Navy and trying to keep them in the Navy and train them so that they, and by the way, the Navy is more sophisticated than it's ever been in its history. And it's getting more complicated and technical and, and uh, every day. And so you can't be successful if you can't capture human capital who are committed to a cause and a purpose and retain them and grow them. And so here are all these admirals. They, they all did pretty good. And so their normal reaction is, well, shoot, I did this. Anybody can do this. But wait a minute. And then I laid this on them. And this was my first time with my own, when I was, found out I was going to be the CNO. I'd been believing this for a long time, but I never had a platform to roll it out except to talk in small groups inside my own command about, you know, what I really believed about uh, what leaders do. Uh, you know, it hadn't hit the front page of the New York Times before I got to be the CNO. And, you know, but things change. Now I've got this platform. And I've also, when I was a lieutenant, we had a CNO named uh, Admiral uh, Bud Zumwalt, who really came in to change the Navy. And I actually thought Zumwalt was brilliant. But he flunked the strategic communications test. And Mm. he created an incredible amount of uh, animosity, first with the admirals, because he was trying to identify with the sailors, bypassing them, and you know, I learned from, as a lieutenant, I didn't know the Lord was preparing me then to be the CNO someday, um, that you got to think your way through this, and so uh, I started with my transition team, and I said, okay, who in here knows how many people trite try it out of the Navy every year? Nobody raised their hand. These are admirals, you would think they know something about this, right? Wrong. Because we never talked about that nasty subject. It was a, a storytelling about our failure. Hmm. And so it just so happened that first-term Navy sailors, the uh, attrition rate was 39%. Can you believe it? Hmm. And so I just had a little uh, confrontation with them there. Somebody in this room, tell me how we're going to ever be successful in the human capital game if we're losing four out of 10 sailors that sign up every year. Somebody tell me how that kind of organization is going to be successful. Well, you can imagine nobody was jumping to the podium (laughs) and making a speech about how we were going to do that. Because the fact is you can't do that. Uh, and so I just sold them right out. I said, I want to tell you, I don't want to be the Cienoba Navy like that. And so I'm asking you this question. And I went through the whole thing. Is it a promise? Is it a legal document? Is it a personal document? I believe it's a promise. And I'm asking you what you're going to promise in return to these sailors who raised their right hand, promise to support and defend the constitution, defend the nation. What do you promise in return? Now, let me give you one perspective piece. And this is about if I was looking for a framework and I'm a person of faith, you might have thought, well, why didn't you use servant leadership instead of covenant leadership? And the reason is, is that I have found servant leadership to be in a very complicated topic that when you start getting it hands on in the marketplace to touch it and feel it, that people struggle with. Um, and I will tell you, if you've read Greenleaf's t- treatise on it, he's the guy who uh, first used this. It is, that book is so darn difficult that, you know, they had to create a foundation to do this after he died. So, that, first of all, the concept people believe initially just flashes. Oh, this is wonderful. Yeah, we can do it this way. And some, I've read a lot of the work of the foundation that says, you know, basically, If a leader, the first, so we analyze leaders and how they come to the leadership game by thinking about this. What's the first thing you think about when you find out you're going to be given a leadership opportunity? And if the very first thing they think about is being the boss, as opposed to being a servant, they're probably wired up in a way that's going to cause all kinds of problems. And you know what? The world is made up of people that the first thing they think about when they find out they're going to have a leadership opportunity is they're going to be the boss. And this creates these environments that lack trust, that lack uh, uh, a sense of purpose and creates all kinds of problems. Dick, that kind of brings me to, you know, the, the preamble piece of this.
1: So, the, so, so what did you decide? as a group or individuals, what did they decide that they would promise back? Well, so <clears throat>
2: I, <clears throat> I uh, it takes a while to get to it, but let's put it in the short, uh, uh a short bumper sticker. Uh, our call in as leaders is to grow and develop them. And so uh, somebody asked me, they said, well, so, Admiral, how do you go at this? I said, okay, here's how I go at this. I promise to work my hind end off to get the resources from my banker, the Congress of the United States, to get, ensure that I give you at leader the resources so that you can grow and develop people so that they can make a difference for the United States of America. And I promise you, I will get those resources for every person in the United States Navy. We will have a personal development plan. You'll you'll develop it. And I will commit the resources to grow and develop you so that you can become the the kind of uh, leader Uh, and achieve your potential and make a difference for our Navy and for our country. You know, big picture,
1: macro, 30,000 feet. When I I first was with you and you distilled it at that moment, and of course, those of us who are listening who who have been in life very long, we tend to say the same thing several different ways over time and one of the ways that i heard yep. you say was that i will promise to give you the very best training this is to the 18 year old the very best training yeah. you can get the very best equipment in the world that there could be to do what you do, which comes under this thing of resources right and, and that I will teach you. This is the part that struck me and, and you'll get to this, I'm sure. But, and I will, and, and we promise to teach you that to serve is a noble thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so even though it doesn't start with servant leadership, it's this covenant that teaching to serve is a noble thing that, that word noble is a pretty interesting word. Um, you, you and one other of my friends about our same age, use that word. Talk to me about noble as part of covenant. <clears throat> I know I'm springing this on you, but, you know. No, that's
2: good. So I remember when John and Ashcroft and I were with uh, the former prime minister of Israel uh, and we were at a university and we were doing a three-way with him. And uh, they asked each of us and he for, used that noble word. Well, the reason noble is important Important is because it's this appeal to something bigger than ourselves. Um, I always like to say, you know, the, the, the cost of ownership isn't coming around by pointing our finger out at other people like this. The real cost of ownership is like when we do this with this finger pointing out, the three are pointing back right. at us. And so if we are wired up right, We are going to pursue things. uh, You could go back to Maslow, and I think Maslow is great, actually, in self-actualization and all the pieces that go with this. But we are trying to build leaders who are leading from a moral and an ethical base. And you can't ever believe that it's noble if it's not moral and ethical. And so this then, you know, gets you to the things that we talk this is why, as Christians, we're supposed to be unique and special. Uh, and it ought to show in the marketplace. And if you're around me very much in the faith uh, thing, I know that I, you've heard me say, I feel sorry for people who aren't who are leaders who don't have a faith. Because what is their frame of reference? What is their perspective for why they are pursuing this? You made the point. Is this, is this fun? Is this a heavy load? Well, some days it's a really heavy load. But I think I've always thought that uh, trying to talk about uh, uh, the leadership game as uh, something that's going to be fun all the time, you know, that's one of the things I took on with my people first. I said, we got to fix our communication. Well, why? Well, let me tell you a couple of things that we say to our people all the time that's just goofy as all get out. Like, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. And I said, "Remember this profession that we're part of." Um, so the USS Birmingham, a cruiser in World War II, uh, the carrier gets hit by a kamikaze, and the Birmingham is close aboard. And pretty soon, the fire's blazing on the on the carrier, and the captain of the Birmingham brings the ship in alongside, and the sailors are out there with fire hoses for trying to fight the fire from off of the ship. And what he doesn't know is that the fire has burned its way toward the torpedo magazine that's right next to where the Birmingham is alongside. They're not tied up. They're at sea, underway. And the thing explodes, and just like that, 206, I think, people are, sailors are killed. That's not fun. I mean, we get called upon to do hard things. Uh, the satisfaction of all of this and the satisfaction <clears throat> The satisfaction in leading is that we do hard things and we build teams and we mold a group of people who are so dedicated and committed. And what my position was with them, you can't do that in an an environment that is not loaded with trust. What are people, are people going to commit to a purpose and a cause when they don't believe in the leader? They know the leader lies and cheats and steals and doesn't tell the truth and and does, you know, blah, 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 you know, get, let it go on and on. We know that trust is at an all-time low in organizations today. Hmm. And people are looking for routes to escape everywhere. In order to change that and create organizations that people want to be in and part of, we have to change the environment in an incredible way. Ways that we hadn't thought about before. Instead of just being the boss and saying, no, that's your job. Just do, do your job. You know? mm-hmm. doesn't, that doesn't work. Well, we'll work Well, All that will work in the short term. You know, until they find another way out. Like my sailors, who were 39% of them, didn't make it through their first term obligation of four years. They figured out a way to get out. And by the way every one of those sailors cost me 15 to 20,000 minimum to even re- recruit. We'll do the math. You know.
0: Vern, how did you 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 talked about um that you invested in in your leaders. How did you invest in your leaders and put in systems in place so that those leaders weren't just self-actualizing, as you said in Maslow's hierarchy, just taking it all in for themselves, making their life better for them? How did you? What systems did you put into place so that they were then transferring what you were investing in them into the those that they were leading? Okay,
2: great question. So, remember, I was, you know, Connie always said, Vern, don't let them think you're an Admiral over your life. Don't do it. <laughs> you were a lieutenant. <laughs> well, I was even an ensign. Um, well, so uh, the very first thing I did was uh, I got to went to the chief of naval personnel and said, look, the, the flag officers in dock program, flag officers, you become an admiral. is terrible. It's two weeks. It's a total waste of time. We have the inspector general come in and tell horror stories about how admirals got in trouble. Uh, That's the wrong message. Find out where people are going, what organizations they're using. I'm ready to go outside the Navy to do this. Go, you go, you guys go find it. And here's, here's four or five people. And, and, uh, uh, go do it. They come back to me with a recommendation you should go to the center for creative leadership. Okay. Let's see. we could study this to death, right? But I'm only here four years. I want to get moving. So, uh, get on the phone and talk to the leadership down there and see what kind of program they would offer for us. And the next thing, you know, every one of my admirals that get to be a brand new Admiral are going to CCL. And there's, they're either going in there's one in Colorado in the mountains and there's one in North Carolina and it's a five week program now. Okay. And the last week, the spouses are invited. Hmm. Uh, Spouses really? Yeah. Hmm. This is a, this is a, this is going to be a family investment that we're making because this is a huge task that uh, the Admiral Corps takes on. There's 300 of them in the Navy. And we're going to going to equip them. Uh, somebody, one of the other service chiefs came to me. And, first of all, it went through the building like, you know, crazy because the people loved it. Uh, they walk in and they get about 10 batteries testing. And I, I make a promise to them. I promise you that not one humanoid in the Navy will ever see the results of these batteries. Hmm. This is going to be between you and the organization that we've contracted with. And I put it, sign it in blood. None of us will ever know what's inside these batteries. What will come out of this is your own personal personal professional development program. And I'll fund two courses a year for you for the next three years. That's my promise. Well, you know, this makes a difference. Hmm. Uh, can I tell you one quick story? Yeah. I went to New London, Connecticut, which the submariners every year have a big bash called the clam bake up there. And this wife came up to me and I, I never go to those things, but I was invited to speak or something. And so there was a social hour and she came up to me and she said, Admiral Clark, I'm, my, I'm so-and-so. and I was at your house two weeks ago when you had the final um, farewell event for all of us who came uh, to the flag indoctrination program. And you had all of us in for a social and it was so nice. And thank you for that and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you're very welcome. And uh, I didn't remember, you know, I mean, she was a face in the crowd of 60 people. And and, uh, and she said, uh, but there's something else I want to tell you. And I said, yes. And uh, she, she said, we got home to, uh, almost two weeks ago. And three days ago, I have two teenagers, a son and a daughter. My son is fourteen, my daughter is uh, no, son's fifteen, my daughter's thirteen. And school was out. And they came <clears throat> they came in from school and said, my son said, Mom, we need to talk to you. And she said, Yeah, what is it? She said, he said, Well you all were gone and and since you came back things are different and she said well yeah we it was quite an experience and uh and the son looked at her and said mom what happened to dad he is so different what happened to him you know what happened to him he had a confrontation with self with 10 batteries that told him a whole bunch of things and a 360 that was conducted that he read that other people said about him, that he read that shocked him beyond belief. So that's the way I did it. And what Dick said earlier, you know, I promised sailors, we were gonna invest in training like never before. And there was one piece of the training, of the budget that nobody had the right Even the Deputy Chiefs of Naval Operation who own the territory, the personnel guy, I said, don't you ever touch the personnel budget without coming and talking to me. You own it, but I want to know if you're cutting anything. Come and see me and talk to me about it. I told the money guy, don't you ever touch the people money without coming in here and talking to me first. You know, you do little things like that that uh,
1: let people know that you're invested. (laughs) I love, I love the phrase, don't ever touch the people money. Yeah. I, so many times, you know, and I'm coming, I'm listening to you as the former president of a small college in California that always had money problems. And the huge challenge in charitable institutions, missions, organizations, is we, is we buy new equipment for you. We just never have the money to train you on it <laughs> or to keep it maintained. And yeah. And un- until that piece change changes, until we see the people first part, that if I develop you or help develop you, you will find ways to help develop others because you do to other people what's done to you. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. any study will tell you that. And I just, uh, I just am fascinated. Even though you're talking about it on a huge scale, it, it's it's so personal. When I, when I listen to you say it, that, that don't, I mean, you, you could have a book titled Don't Ever Touch the People Money. I think that yeah. itself, Just
0: saying. It. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good to me.
2: <laughs> well, I love you bringing this up, Dick, because every, you know, the Navy, the budget was $120 billion, but there wasn't enough money. Well, why? Well, first of all, we didn't know where the money was going. So that's a whole nother subject to talk about, you know, how you get visibility uh, uh, and then create some clarity about what you're going to invest in. But I just want want to piggyback on that a minute, Dick. Um, Readiness was in the toilet and readiness is in the toilet again, you know, in the news. Uh, One of the reasons I got picked to be the CNO is when Bill Cohen, the secretary of defense asked me, um, about what do I think about this idea of being a CNO, and uh, And, you know, we, and his first question was, well, Vern, you used to work for us up here in the Pentagon, and we sent you down to Norfolk to turn you back into a Navy guy because I was in joint jobs. They call those purple jobs. Um, and he said, what does it look like to you? And I began to tell him what I had found down there. Uh, that readiness was on the way down, and that we were in trouble with people. And I had 39 percent attrition, and I and our goal was 38 percent first-term retention, and we had 19. Uh, and just,
1: I said, hey, just as a point, point of reference for our listeners, I think I'm right in this that Norfolk Navy Base is the largest naval base of any country anywhere yeah. in the world. Right. So, but, so when you yeah, drive you? But What's it was of I don't know if it is today, but, but it was <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it,
2: it it was the whole time I was in the Navy, yeah.
1: So you drive across the bridge into Norfolk across yeah. that, that uh, sound and you, and you see aircraft carriers and the yeah. lined up like mm-hmm. a used car lot. Not a used car lot, but uh, yeah. anyway,
2: go ahead.
1: So I'm telling, I told
2: Cohen, I said, if we're going hollow. And I mean, he turned ashen white. Um. Well, why were we going hollow? Because readiness was in the toilet. And we were. And, and I found out immediately, you know, how does this happen? I'm sort of a find-out-how-this-happened guy. And it happened because the money people were touching the readiness account. They weren't touching the people accounts. They were touching the readiness accounts. And then I started, started doing all this digging, and I find out, well, we're really funding 78% of the readiness budget. And so I began to talk to my admirals about this point. What is our promise? Our promise is we're not gonna do stupid stuff like that.
1: If what we what believe- does readiness mean, uh, Vern? Just for my, help me with that, with my brain. So you're not yeah. touching the people money, but you're touching the ready money. What, what does yeah. that mean?
2: Well, so you need, uh, let, I'm just gonna use a number. You need $10 billion a year to maintain the ships. Hey, listen, money's tight. Let's take, Any everybody can handle 10% cut. So, you know, we'll take 10% now. Um, Well, then, you you know, the question begins, but but it's 22% is what they're taking. They're taking 22% of the program requested readiness money, and they're spending it on other things, or the Congress just doesn't give it to you because they've been cutting the readiness accounts forever. And, you know, ultimately, they always figure out how to make it. Sure. Well, you know, so what happens? And I don't. This, this would take quite a while to tell the story. But here's what happens in in thirty seconds or less. You got a big organization called Naval Sea Ships Systems Command, for they've done research and analysis for the last fifty years that says what you're supposed to do uh, to maintain this ship and do these things, these things, these things. Big checklist. Boom. That's what you're supposed to do. Nobody believes those that those lists. They think that they're all padded with junk. And by the way, they probably are. I, I would not probably, they are. Because they're notional, they're not, that's not a real ship, that's a figure of a ship. And so they take the money. Now, that's not the problem. The problem is, I wanna retain people and get people committed to this organization. And I'm gonna promise them and I'm gonna give them the resources. And then they're gonna say, what? You funded 78% of the readiness account? And I'm here busting to my behind trying to make this ship ready to go. By the way, uh, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. And the ship's got to get underway on Monday morning. The ship's broke Friday night. The kids are working all night and all day Saturday and then all day Sunday trying to get it ready to go out Monday. You think they love this organization? No, they don't love it. They're saying those low-life scumbag admirals, you know, they're funding at 78% and it's all coming out of my high. So you gotta change this stuff. And you know, okay, look, I don't believe those lists out of the Naval Sea Systems Command either. So look, I created three new jobs. The head of the surface Navy, the head of the aviation Navy, the head of the submarine Navy. You march yourself in here to see me every week, every year uh, before budget time, and you and I are gonna sit down and have a personal one-on-one conversation. You tell me what you're going to give me and what I'm going to get out of it. And I'm going to decide with you what the requirement is for you, for us to fund your your whole area. And I'm going to promise you the money and I'm going to get it from wherever I have to get it. And if you, so, so we make some trade-offs. Do I want my aid? This is real unnecessary detail, but it's for illustration. I got a Naval air station here. It's open 24 hours a day. How often does somebody land between midnight and eight o'clock in the morning? Oh, once a month. Okay, I don't want that capability. I take that capability off the table. Now, 100% requirement is I want that baby running from seven or eight o'clock in the morning until midnight. Fair? Fair. Not vertical? We agree. Okay, that's the requirement. I'm going to fund it. And do that through the entire budget. A lot of work, right? So change the change the
1: agreement though change the personal promise. So so the operational preposition for covenant leadership is the word with. Okay? Is that right? We're going to do this with you. We're yes. going to we're going together. We're going yeah. to do I mean this fits with your faith framework. Yeah. Uh, you know, years ago when I first went to D.C., one of the first conversations I had was with the then chaplain of the Senate, Richard Halverson, and we were yeah. sitting in the Senate dining room. I'm trying not to gawk, and 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 I said, "Dick Wood or Doctor Dick," I called him. I said, "What what what are some things that change uh, how you see things?" And you referenced the time in, in Mark, I think it's Mark three or four, where where Jesus chooses his disciples. And and he says, and and I will be with you. He said that that preposition with changed my whole uh, concept. I have a a missionary friend now with Jesus, 35 years in Ghana. He was up with the Dagbani tribe and translated much of the New Testament into their language. And he said, it was a tremendous day in my life when I woke up one night and realized I wasn't working for God. I was working with him there you go that that idea that biblical concept is embedded in covenant leadership is that what i'm hearing absolutely and i want to encourage
2: people to when you go to the website now and google covenant leadership you're going to get a lot of much broader stuff than i got when i found out about it 40 years ago uh to me it was a concept and i had I adapted it to fit my environment, which is what we have to do. But, you know, there's this desire for people to write an article on leadership. You have to have some prescription that you put in it. And so there are things that you put in it. Um, And that's why they write the article to become well-known and big thinkers about leadership. And so I encourage it. It's it's all good. I was uh, in. Preparing for this, I wanted to just go see what was uh, out there now because I, not something that uh, I do every day. I did it. I've been doing it for 40 years um, to see what kind of things are out there. And there are wonderful things out there that talk about uh, covenant leadership creates great clarity in the organization. Uh, and he, you don't do this by being on the, you know, in the tower with your finger pointing down it's always a with connection and this brings me back to remember the reason we couldn't retain people is that we didn't have a connection culture we had a disconnection culture and you know this connection culture uh, is uh, I've talked to that about that book before and I just uh, I, I think it's in a very important part of a, of a leaders lexicon uh, before our time runs out I want to make sure that we share with the people Uh, What happened in the people world? Uh, We, the reason all the admirals, when I asked them the question about attrition, they didn't know the answer is because it was buried. They didn't see it. It was buried in other numbers. And it was in a big macro retention number that, you know, was a big amalgamation, but you lost clarity. Um, I broke all that out. 38% 38% had been some goal in the 30s had always been where we were the whole time I was in the Navy. You heard this, Dick. We only made our retention goals once in the 32 years up until the time I became the CNO. And that was when Reagan created the all-voluntary force and gave the whole military a 17% pay raise. And bambo, we made our retention goals that year. But the next year, we were right back where we were before. And and the reason because, our, you know, we had corrosion uh, and you could even say maybe cancer in the in the bowels of the organization. And by the way, one of the first groups I had to get to was the chief petty officers, because they were the you know the senior enlisted people
1: who were connected directly with the sailors. And so I these, met with these are, the, these are the sergeants in army terms. These are the master, yeah, sergeants, yeah, the, master sergeants. And the
2: first Tuesday after my Saturday uh, uh, was it Saturday or Friday? Uh, change of command. I met with the fleet and force master chiefs and they were the ones that if you're a fleet master chief, you are the master chief for the fleet commander. And by being the the master chief of the command, it means you're the senior enlisted advisor to the Admiral or to the captain of the ship or whatever. And I met with all of them Tuesday and I laid this all out. And I said, I told him, I'm not going to be the CNO of a Navy that has 39% attrition. And we are going to talk about covenant leadership every time we get together. And we are going to ask uh, chief petty officers and leaders everywhere, if you're a leader, what did you promise in return? And uh, honestly, Dick, I thought it takes a whole generation to change the culture. I had no intention that we were going to meet those goals none i thought it was too big it was it was too big it couldn't we couldn't get there uh. so we did stretch set a 57 uh stretch goal for first term retention and we were at 19 you know when i took over but that was a different number i want to be honest so we had done some uh, you know we pulled the attrition out the the attrition number was a four-year number those people were leaving within four years Um, but when you summed them all up we were losing 39 percent of them a year Uh, or any given year that they all came in 39 percent of that group would leave in four years Uh, and you know when the first end of the first year came I knew Halfway through, I've been working on my oral history and I was reading some stuff of a speech that I gave, you know, uh, three quarters of the way through the first year. And we were already at 42 or 43 percent first term retention. Hmm. I mean, it was happening. I mean, I was shocked. It was the message here is that sailors were so hungry for some connection and somebody talking truth to them and something that they could understand and believe. And so we had a 57% goal for first term retention and, you know, at the end of the first year. And I was anxious to see, you know, how it was going to go down. We didn't make it. We only made 56.4% in the first year. Broke all the records of all time in retention within one year. And by the third term retention was so high. The chief of naval personnel called me and said, boss, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. I said, what's the matter? Nor? what do you mean we're in trouble? He said, retention. And I said, are you kidding? What do you, retention is great. He said, yeah, that's the problem. He said, first term retention is now 83%. We don't know how to manage a Navy like this. (laughs) 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 Well, you know why people want it. I got letters from retired guys said, Admiral, thank you for making the Navy a a place that I'm proud to have retired from again. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was amazing what happened. It was all built on a covenant leadership framework. Uh, Personal promises to each other. Communicating truth to one another. Showing appreciation. Rewarding the right people. By the way, I was keeping score on retention. You know, and the people that didn't make it. You know, um, there were some exciting conversations with those
1: people. Uh, how, did they like, how did they like serving in Antarctica the next time?
2: Well, probably. even <laughs> not good. How would you like to just go live in Birmingham or, you know, pick some, someplace? Because uh, you're not going to be part. You know, so what happened when it got to 83% retention? Hey, you can't get in this outfit. Hmm. Because my recruiting went from 57,000 down to 34,000. And remember what I told you that cost me to re- recruit those people? I mean, we're now saving millions of dollars in human capital that I can now go apply to in ways to invest in other areas in the Navy where we're not squandering resources. You know, it's so- phenomenal.
1: We're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time to do this on a on an early September Colorado morning here. But <laughs> I, I, I always in, in Aaron. I always enjoy being with Vern Clark. For sure. Not only do I, not not only do I learn a ton, but I learn what it's like to listen to unvarnished, non-spin talk. Hmm. You, you just put it out there, Vern. And um, I, if I heard correctly, let me just see if I can sum this up a little bit. A covenant culture and a covenant uh, leadership model creates a connection culture. How refreshing is that? when we spend our hours and days today talking about a cancel culture. Hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a a connection culture. The operative preposition is with, and it's built on a framework of promises that are mutual. And um, no friendship works without that. No marriage works without that. No organization works without that. And uh, your insights, plus your experience, you, you're not just talking, you, you aren't a talking head here. You're a person who has put his monies and his mouth where his life is. And I'd just like to say that Aaron and I would like to affirm that as a noble enterprise.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank, Amen.
1: thank you for doing that. And thank you for being a part of this podcast. Yes, Amen. you have your hand up.
2: So, we're people of faith. We're connected in ways that are different from so many other people. And the calling for us as believers is, when we go strap it on every morning, we better know what we're gonna do that day and what we believe in. And we better know where where we're going. Because people are looking at us and they know we're people of faith. And they want to know if we're believable or not. And I believe this is one of the, the high calling for Christians, that we walk the talk, that this Christ that we serve lives in us. We can't, you know, in a job like I'm in, I can't be out preaching Christ every day, not with words, but they all know I'm a person of faith. And my view is it's supposed to show. And I thank you for that great summary, because that's what I believe. And I believe that when we live that life of faith with people, they know who we are. They know what we believe in, and they know where we're going. And I got it that we got two minutes left and we're nearly done. Thanks, Dick. (laughs) Thanks, Aaron. Great being with you.
0: Will you pray for us? Will you pray that, uh, that what you've shared with us today and the audience and the listeners, it will not just be something head knowledge but the principles, the insight, and the worth that you shared will be something that we apply in our lives each and every day.
2: Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to be with these brothers and sisters around the world, wherever they are. We thank you for truth. Uh, We thank you for your word that teaches us about serving and that you, Jesus, came to serve, not be served. And while sometimes we're in this role to be the boss, uh, we can still figure out how to be the boss by serving and figuring out how to serve. And that this covenant leadership model is a model that certainly helped me. And I just hope that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart have uh, been easy to listen to this morning. And I hope that uh, the listeners those that uh, have a de- desire to apply, that you'll uh, empower them in a way so th- they'll be able to tackle uh, some of the responsibilities that they have and, and uh, be able to figure out how to apply them in their organization in profitable and productive ways. We thank you that you're always with us when we're in the marketplace, wherever it is, when uh, you place us in positions to do the work that you've given us to do. And Lord, uh, I ask and my prayer is that you would empower uh, listeners are reaching out to you uh, for the growth and development experience that will enable them to live up to the potential that you see in them. That's our prayer for today. And we thank you for Aaron and thank you for the partnership with Dick through these years. We're so appreciative that we live uh, within you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.